0: The following is a production of Omnus.tv. On this episode of Revelator, I welcome music guest BB Buell. Also cover the top movies of the box office and the NBA playoffs and the disgusting Donald Sterling. All this and more on Revelator. <laughs> At every term. Hey everybody, welcome to Revolutor. I'm your host Ryan. Thanks for hanging out with me as always. Yeah, really cool show tonight. B.B. Uh, Buell uh, will be stopping by uh, the mother of rock and roll. Some of you may uh, recognize that name for, uh, because Liv Tyler Tyler's mother. Uh, she'll be joining us to talk about her new album. Uh, talk a little bit about her history as well in the music industry and all those different... Uh, yeah, Really, really interesting uh, uh, woman and uh, a lot of great stories. And we're happy to have uh, her donate as much time as she... As she is she's going to. Um you know, um we usually start off with like funny stories and stuff and um you know usually like joke around and stuff uh you know for the show. But uh, I think for this particular episode I want to start off by talking about the NBA and Donald Sterling and the NBA playoffs. Unfortunately, the NBA playoffs have been overshadowed, so I want to talk about the NBA playoffs first. One, the NBA playoffs, the first round this year, has been fantastic. If you're a fan of the NBA, the NBA playoffs first round have been as good as, if not better than I can remember, and, and I know that sometimes we always get caught up in the moment. But this is, I mean, the real deal. I'm um, the Rockets, uh, Portland overtime game after overtime game, Oklahoma City versus Memphis overtime game after overtime game, buzzer beaters with Dallas and San Antonio, down to the wire every night. Um, I mean, you've every series. It's been fantastic. Uh, it really, really has. Now, one thing that's really overshadowed all these fantastic games night in and night out on TNT and on ESPN and um, is Donald Sterling. Unless you're living on the rock, you probably haven't heard about this. Donald Sterling. Um, ah, Man, I, I don't know even know what to say about this. This guy is the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. He bought the Los Angeles Clippers in 1981 for $12.5 million and um, has been a dreadful, abysmal owner for most of that. I would say probably ninety percent of that. The Clippers have been a laughing stock in the NBA year after year after year. Uh it's no secret Donald Sterling is a scumbag. That's not a secret to anybody that's been paying attention at all. Between um discrimination suits, sexual harassment suits, uh the list goes on and on and on. Just disgusting individual. But the remarks that he made, I think, finally brought ears to really who he is as a person. And that's just a bigot and a racist saying he doesn't want to bring black people to his games. And, you know, like, dude, you're dating a, a black woman, half black, half Mexican woman who uh, recorded these tapes um, illegally. I might add. Um, so she's going to have her day in court. I'm sure Donald Starling and the lawyers have contacted her. So that's a whole nother ball of waxer. But the main thing is um, I care less about his legal issues. He's got big issues coming. Um, Adam Silver, the new commissioner of the NBA, just took over several months ago for David Stern, who uh, David Stern was a good commissioner. Uh, I'm, a lot of people can debate that. In my opinion, uh, David Stern did a lot for the NBA. If you look at where the NBA was in the early '80s, when guys like Donald Sterling bought into the NBA for such a low amount, to where the uh, the franchises are now, the TV contracts, the global diversity, and I'm going to use the word diversity here, the global diversity of the NBA. Because that's exactly what it is—a very, very diverse league. You have players from all over the world. That's the beauty of the uh, of the NBA. Now, uh, for him to make the comments that he made, uh, one, they're repulsive and disgusting, and he's a sad, feeble little guy. There's no place, you know. A lot of people are like, "Oh, there's no place for that in the NBA." There's no place for that anywhere. Okay, there's not. You know. You know, cracking a joke here or there um, with friends is, is one thing, but saying what he said and meaning what he said is a whole other ball of wax altogether. You know, it's one thing, you know, you're joking, and and uh, not that, you know, you have racist jokes, but, you know, hey, I mean, come on. You know, I, I think everybody's been down that avenue before. Um, hey, I have black friends. No, um, no, th- this guy, man, I mean... <laughs> but, this, I mean, the things that he said, I mean, it's just... I'm sorry, there... It's just no place for it. Not only in the NBA, there's no place for it in the world, especially in, in the business world. Anywhere, um, Mike, uh, you you've been in the business world a long time. Um, if you were to uh, be recorded and, and something like that were be handed to your to your boss that you made these type of comments, such as Donald Starling, what, what do you think would happen to you, man? Uh, rightfully so, you'd be fired. Yeah, exactly. Fired. You'd be fired, uh, you'd be fired. And, and that goes for anyone anywhere. You sh- I'm sorry. It, it's 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 not right. It's uh, it's disgusting. I don't know the way to put it. Uh, Adam Silver. Back to my point is that um, the the press conference Adam Silver had. I think it was his first test, and Adam Silver put his commissionership in the NBA in center table during that press conference. He basically said, "You know what? You're fined for life, not indefinitely. You are fined for life. You are not to attend a facility. You're not to attend practice. You're not to attend anything associated with the NBA. You know what? You can't even subscribe the NBA league pass on a on AT and T U-verse, Okay, that's how that's how fined and banned you are. All right, you better not even play NBA 2K on your Xbox or PlayStation Home. That's how much of a ban you are banned from the NBA. Okay." And he went one step further. People were like, he should have fined him more. Look, the way the uh, NBA constitution, their, their labor agreements, he can only find them a certain amount, which is the max of 2.5 million, which for Donald Sterling is probably the equivalent of someone that makes $45,000 a year, about 60 bucks. Okay. Donald Sterling is a very rich man. Now, this is the thing that I like the best. Not only the life band, because there's no place for anyone like that, especially in a diverse league in the NBA. There's no place for anyone in the world that, that still has that mindset. I, 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 I firmly believe that. Um, you cannot judge people by the color of their skin. You just cannot do it. That's an old, small way of thinking. The world has changed. And if you still think that way, I feel sorry for you that you're so small-minded and feeble. But. Adam Silver said, you know what, the owners are going to vote them out. There's something in the clause in the NBA where a three-fourths of the owners in the NBA vote, they can make him sell the team, which is the right thing to do. And you know what, you had a lot of the owners that came out already and, and have spoken up, and a lot of big owners, a lot of guys who have been in the league a long, long time. Mickey Harrison of the Miami Heat, Sloan of the New York Knicks, the uh, Mark Cuban of uh, the Dallas Mavericks, been a, a long-time owner now, um, Dan Gilbert uh the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh Genie Bus, former uh owner uh you know the thing is about Genie Bus coming out and saying that it's funny because uh Doctor the late Doctor Bus um actually was responsible for Donald Sterling getting into the league back in nineteen eighty one, ironically enough. Um uh, the owner of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, you have a lot of owners already come out publicly and made and, and were like, you know, we're a hundred percent behind the commissioner and they should be. You have to protect your league. You have to, you don't want that image, you know? Yeah, there's probably a lot of money to be at stake as far as TV contracts and, you know, sponsorships and all those things. That's the least of those guys' worries right now. They need to get the, the disease that is Donald Sterling out. And uh, I think they've done that. Um, the action was quick, steadfast, and correct. And tell you what. Don't mess with Adam Silver. As one bad dude as a commissioner, he's not messing around. I thought he was fantastic in his press conference, and uh, and everyone knows. Um, you know, we've talked sports a lot on this show, uh, not as much lately, but I wanted to lead off with that, um, just because one. Anyone knows I'm a huge NBA fan. I have been for a long, long time. Um, and when I heard that um, this past weekend, I was um, I was disgusted. I really was because. Um, I, i've been a fan of the nba i think it's a great product um some of the best athletes in the world bar none i'm sorry those guys are fantastic man uh and and if you've been watching the playoffs it's on display it's amazing and uh do there's no place for you anywhere as far as i'm concerned you go to your big rich mansion and do whatever it is that you do uh, but it's it's you know it's time for like that step aside there's just no room on this on this planet um for people that have that mindset and i'll leave it at that um there you go Kapuya Kapuya, my Kapuya button's not working um i tell you we have bb bell uh bb buell uh will be uh, stopping by in a moment first off let's listen to a track off her album hard love this is the mother of rock and roll here on revelator <laughs>
1: And from the mountain tops, you can feel my heart.
0: The mother of rock and roll here on Revelator. And you know what? Kind of fitting for our next guest. uh, That that song off her last album, Hard Love. B.B. Buell, uh, first off, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, It's definitely a pleasure.
2: Hi, how are you? I'm happy to be Uh, here. I'm happy
0: to be here. Well, wonderful. I'm I'm glad. Uh, I know you're you've been very busy, and um, gosh, you've just been busy in general. And for a lot of people out there that that may not be aware of of you and your, uh, I guess you know, history, uh, New York Times bestseller, uh, Playboy cover girl, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, <laughs> got the T-shirt and everything, right? I mean, um, well,
2: you know, I, I started as a, a model. You know, my mother sent my high school graduation picture to a big super agent in New York City named Eileen Ford, and she sort of summoned me immediately to New York. So it was my dream to go to New York, and um, it, it, it was really quite a, quite a blessing. It was a lot of fun. It was an exciting time in my life. I was just graduated from high school, and the next thing I knew, I was on an airplane to New York City. So, you know, I got started as a, as a young model. And then as soon as I got to New York, you know, I started to really become part of the entire music community scene that sort of was spawned and born in this place called Max's Kansas City. And it was just one of the most amazing places on earth because you didn't just have music, you had art, you had literature, you had poets, you know, you had drag queens, you had all these... Wonderful, colorful people, including Andy Warhol and Lou Reed, and and, and just a room filled with fascinating, brilliant people—painters, all kinds of people—and they all hung out together. And um, you know, you don't see too much of that anymore.
0: Yeah, I think the the scene has changed quite a bit. I, I think obviously social media and those type of things have have played a very very large role in that. But you mentioned Lou Reed, who just uh, recently passed away a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, obviously you know you've met him? Um, do you have any uh, like a story or anything you could share with us on the show well, about, uh, about Lou Reed? You know,
2: I, I you know Lou was one of the first people I met when I came to New York, and um, I met him when I was you know just a little girl, eighteen years old. And, uh, with all my friends in the back room of Max's, we all sort of just sat around. It was a very small room and it was sort of elite and, uh, you know, a very tight click. I, I don't know what you would call it, you know, the same thing all kids do. Right. And, and, uh, you know, he was part of that and, and he was always just really sweet and, and we would talk about all kinds of things that, uh, that fascinated us everything from aliens you know actually the alien conversation I've had many times with many people
1: <laughs> all right uh,
2: yes. but um you know just just things like that he he was just a really uh he was a sweet man and now not everybody says that you know a lot of people said that he was cranky and difficult and blah 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 but I never, I I was one of the lucky ones, I guess. I I didn't, uh, I didn't see that. I can tell you one of the freakiest lineups that I ever saw that included Lou Reed. That was um, Hall and Oates, Lou Reed when he was going through the phase when he would like simulate shooting up on stage, <laughs> right. and uh, and Al Green closed out that night. Oh wow! And that was at the Felt Forum in New York City, and that was, uh, I think, around 1973 or four. And um, it, it, you know, it, you you don't see lineups like that either. That that mm-hmm. obtuse and strange, you know, you don't see things like that anymore either. But uh, yeah, they- yeah, you know, so that that has been a long time. And yes, losing him was, it for for anybody that really knew him and loved him. He was part of the whole New York community, and he always made me feel very welcome. And as a young girl meeting somebody like like him when I first came to New York and him sort of taking me under his wing in the back room and protecting me and just being genuinely adorable, uh, you know, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I've always had those kind of people in my life.
0: Well, oh, baby, I appreciate you sharing a a moment and story about Lou Reed. It sounds like a, you know, I imagine people aren't very cranky around you most of the time, but um, you were obviously on, on the cover of Playboy. Now, there's a thing. Uh, actually, that you no, were kind of, I,
2: I've been. I mean, there has been photos of me on the cover, but I was actually a centerfold. You know, one of the twelve girls, one of the the, the month Miss November.
0: Miss November, that's what it was. Okay. (laughs) Now, uh, what is your take on on the on the the women now? And Playboy obviously has expanded a lot. uh, Very different as as global brand, big time. Um, Last week we just had Cyber Girl of the Year Jennifer Vaughn on, who's very lovely. Um, I know you both uh, share a passion for animals as well. Right. Um, What is your take? um, You know, I guess what some of the new girls and how they interact online and those type of things. I don't
2: really know much about that world. Um, I'll be honest, I, I. I don't really spend a, I don't, I just know about the social networking that most of us know about Twitter, Facebook, you know, that's about it. I don't really go too much further. I, you know, I try to spend as little time on the computer as I can, because I think it's rotting all of our brains. But, uh, um, but when, when I was in Playboy, they didn't have the airbrushing. They didn't, women had pubic hair. I mean, it was just a different era, you know, and, you didn't have to have the most gigantic boobs and and nobody had fake ones back then, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, so the, so the whole thing has changed. It was very, very hard to be a playmate in 1974 because there's 12 girls a year and because they didn't have all the tricks and all the smokes and, and mirrors that you have now, you know, your photos really had to be what they were. You had to look good you know you had to uh, the the photo shoots were really there was nothing sexy about them this is one myth that people have about shooting for a playboy or something (laughs) it's really really a lot of work and you know the photographer he's seen so many naked people he couldn't care less and then there's hair and makeup and there's wardrobe and there's the assistant and there's a lot of people it's a set it's like a movie set Right. You know you always hear actors say that doing love scenes is really awkward because you're surrounded by like fifty people, and that's kind of what it's like it's it's a it's a business you know it they're there to make you look amazing and there's nothing you know weird or awkward about it and it, you just get down to business, but, you know, things were very different then. the pictures were more innocent and you weren't allowed to go as crazy now, you know, <laughs> they get, they contort now. Girls do all kinds of crazy things. It's, you know, it's a different time. It's just, yeah. it just is, you know, when I did it, it was more of a pinup thing. I did it because Patty Smith told me it would be a rebellious move because I was sort of like a, you know, a, a model, uh, and I wanted to sing, and I wanted to, you know, be in a band,
1: and uh, Patty
2: Smith said to me, well, you know, post for Playboy or something, Bridget Bardot did it, and that's, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, that's right, you know, Bridget Bardot did do it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was that much of a lark, and the other irony of it is that a woman took my photos uh, that attracted Playboy's attention, and, She's a photographer, Lynn Goldsmith, and she actually took the photos of me that went to Playboy, and that's how I ended up on an airplane to Chicago. That was when Heff still had the Chicago mansion um, before he moved out to California full-time, and the Chicago mansion was amazing. It was was just, oh, my God. You know, it was just something that I did on a lark, I posed for the photos, and then I went home, and I didn't really keep in contact with them or anything. I continued my life, and I got a phone call one day, and they just said, "You're going to be Miss November." And I said, "Oh, great, okay." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <So I>
2: was... <laughs> it was, it was funny, but I didn't, you know, realize it's sort of something that sticks with you forever and ever. It, it really, you know, back in those days, you know, if a girl did that. Oh my goodness! It was much more. It was much more taboo than it is now.
0: Right now, they're like, "You better go do Playboy. they would they, be mad at you if you don't do it." You now. better get your <laughs> butt
2: in Playboy, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Stephanie Seymour and you know the you know the beautiful models, the the supermodel girls. They they've all done it too, and even Kim Basinger, who is one of our finest. Actresses. I I don't know. It's just, it's, it, things have changed. You know, people look at it differently. I mean, I wish people would look at more nude pictures than all this violence and people decapitating each other and war and, you know, come on. What's, what's healthier, a beautiful photograph of a woman or, you know, I don't know.
0: (laughs) I'm picking, I'm picking the photo by the way. I'm picking the photo. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time I'm I'm going with the naked woman. Good. <laughs> uh.
2: <laughs> but, you know, it's hard for me to live that down because I really was very young when I did it. So I hadn't fully I didn't fully understand the implications, nor did I understand, you know, the the, the suitors I would be getting and how my life was going to change just because of a few pictures that I did. It was very, very strange. And, uh,
0: well, huh? No, I, I, I'll, I'll, I, I wanted to stop you there because you mentioned, obviously, the, you know, suitors and those type of things. Obviously, you know, moving on into the, the late 70s, 80s, getting into the, um, you know, kind of the rock and roll scene, even a little bit more heavy. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Steven Tyler, of course, it's, it's I think that's been well documented. Um, yeah, but that was know, in the
2: 70s, you know, that was 76.
0: Okay. All right. My
2: daughter was born in 77. You know, by, by the time. 1980 rolled around. I, you know, I was living in Portland, Maine and I had formed my first band and I was making a record with Rick Ocasek from The Cars. And it's it's just you know documented and, and and just the way it is. And my life, my my young, you know, my young girl life in New York it was exciting and wonderful, but I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be branded for the rest of my life because I did a few things that were, uh, at the time, controversial, you know. And um, I'm, I am I look back on it and I'm proud. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not ashamed, but I think the stigmas that people place on you in this society that we live in can be really difficult. So you have to fight hard, you know. I've been playing in bands and and working full time as a musician since like 1980. <laughs> so I I um as much as I enjoy all the facets of every bit of my journey, you know, so many more years of my life have been devoted to to the opposite. You know what I mean?
0: Right? Well, that's what I wanted to get into is that, you know, the music side of it. Obviously, you've been, you know, playing music for a long time. Is that something you kind of always wanted to yeah. kind of get into anyway? And, and yeah. um, do you remember, you know, it, do you remember the first song you learned to play?
2: The fr- Well, the first song that I sung, or let's see. I crashed my friend's rehearsal when I was about 13, and they were doing a Bee Gees song called I. Um, uh, I think it was, um, I can't see nobody. No, you know what I mean, don't you? Da, da, da. Uh,
0: man, I I, I, I can't I tell can't you that I'm a huge uh, Bee Gees catalog.
2: It was a Bee Gees song. I do know that much. And I just remember that I, you know, I just wanted to sing. I, I said, can I sing too? And they said, well, we were going to ask you if you wanted to try it. And I said, yeah, I'd like to. Give me that, Give me that mic. And, you know, it just... Uh, it, you know it's like the first time you do anything you know the first time you do anything monumental in your life you remember it forever because of the feeling cuz it's it's never repeated you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it was just an an incredible rush and i was already a huge fan of Mick Jagger and Janis Joplin and i had you know all of that i was from that generation when when you just you know music was everything it was your 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 breath your first thing you did when you woke up, last thing you did before you went to sleep, you listened to your favorite song on your radio or your turntable or your you know, transistor under your pillow. It was a magical beautiful time. It's I I I feel bad for kids now that they are so over stimulated that they don't understand the, the simple little pleasures of sneaking your transistor radio under your pillow and hearing the monkeys do you know sing valerie i don't know
0: you know i yeah that kind of in my next uh, se- segment here is that you know obviously social media playing a very very big part in the industry music wise now um between twitter facebook uh instagram there's a, yeah. a list longer than anyone could remember as far as social sites out there yeah. now um and there's, you mentioned you know
2: Somebody put up a fake B.B. Buell Instagram. I don't even know how to sign up for Instagram. <laughs> but but Twitter and Facebook, I know you have to sign up for Instagram on your phone. and Well, that would horrify me. I, I mean... I, I'm scared of I'm scared of apps as it is I think that it's Satan and I, I really believe that apps are the government and so like I don't do them
1: <laughs> so, but,
2: but um but as far as Facebook and Twitter, I have only good things to say and I especially thank Facebook because I didn't realize the 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 size of my fan base i you just you know if you don't know these things until you actually see it in black and white or whatever, technicolor or apple esque or whatever. But for me it was a shock. You know, I didn't realize I had this enormous fan base that was really like with me since the beginning that knew every little thing I'd done. You know, because I've never had the Madonna success. I've always been a cult artist. I've always been a little underground, a little edgy and you know yeah i can sell a room i can sell out a show and and people you know think it's cool to 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 have my records but i've never you know been commercial so to find out you know that i had a fan base that was you know very large and and bigger than i was aware was really you know i started to feel like a responsibility to like say thank you to some of these people and before I knew it, I was really enjoying some of the exchanges I was having with people on Twitter, and, and these people are so genuine, and they come from all over the world, and they've, they, they've heard hard love, they've heard sugar, they've heard retrosexual. These are records that you know probably sold a couple thousand copies, but people have heard them and, and love them, and it it just makes it so much more um, it drives me. You know, it drives me. And then coming to Nashville, that was just sort of an epiphany. I just couldn't resist. I came here and immediately fell in love because I'm from the South. And as soon as I smelled the magnolia trees again, I went, okay, that's it. That's it. It's over. Done. I'm moving to Nashville. It was was, was that fast.
0: You know, I, I, I've been down here a couple years now. I, I originally grew up in Ohio. So, uh, I'm, I'm in a, I'm a Midwest guy, but, uh, my wife and I have been down here for several years now. And, uh, right. I, I really, I like the Nashville area. I live a little bit south of Nashville, but, um, every time I get a chance to go, you know, down on Broad Street, it doesn't, it, it kind of gives you that old kind of feeling and kind of stepping back a little about what you said about like, you know, you know, listening to your radio in your bed or, um, you know, sneaking in, you know, to go listen to a song anymore, you know, like the, the I, and that's one of the reasons people were like, people like, why don't you do like a YouTube show or something? You no. Know? And I'm like, I'm like, i I'm, I'm kind of old school. I, I like the, uh, the audio only stuff. I like the old radio feel where, you know, you kind of go listen to it and yeah, yeah, you can still get it on your iPhone, all and, those wonderful you, gadgets yeah. and stuff, but there's something to be said about just, you know, yeah. talk someone, my friend, you know, and, my
2: friend, Shannon Pollard, he loves all that stuff. He he even has an eight track in his office that he plays and uses, and he listens to everything on a turntable. But <laughs> I think the thing that I really love about Nashville is the camaraderie, the support. I mean, I have never, you know, been so graciously welcomed back home. Do you know what I'm saying? It was just, it's like a few people even said to me, Girl, what took you so long? I mean, it's true. I mean, I got fed up. I got fed up with the backstabbing and the pace of of the way things are done in bigger cities. Like, I've lived in New York for for centuries. I've lived in London. I've lived in L.A. I've, I've traveled all over the world. And I have found the place that I want to live in for the rest of my life. You know, this is it for me. And not only that, it's got the best restaurants and the universe here. There's
1: diversity.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, Nashville's a great town and, um, and I, obviously a good place to, to record an album, which is one of the reasons you're on the show, yeah. is that uh, you have you know new music. That's uh, kind of a yeah. long way to get to it, but I appreciate you giving some time to us. Um, you're recording some new material. We're going to hear a couple of songs um, tonight on the show. Uh, yeah. The first one is um which I think is kind of a a little bit softer than in some of the other stuff I've heard from you. Um, is that kind of the direction you're kind of going at this stage? Well, you know, stage, what,
1: ha-
2: what happened to me when I landed in Nashville, I I cannot even explain it. You know, what happened was I moved here, and I wasn't even here a month, and I was over at my friend John Piven's house. I've known him since I was 18 years old. He's, like, one of my oldest friends. His wife, Sally, I've known them forever. And I really missed him when he left New York, and and he's somebody that I've carried in my heart forever. Both he and his wife Sally, and you know, I started going over to his house, and I would sit in his kitchen, and all of, I just don't know what happened. It just lyrics just started coming out of me. I was I I just I don't know songs just came. John had music. My husband and John together are a couple of mad scientists. And before I knew it, I was like in the studio making records and here I I hadn't even unpacked all my boxes yet. And before I knew it, I had 18 songs. I mean, it was just crazy. And um I mean, that's the way it's been since I got here. I just you know, I'm 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 in it. I'm I'm in some kind of zone. And I'm just going to enjoy it and appreciate it and look at it as a gift and and I hope everybody gets to have this fun and this kind of fun reawakening or rebirth in their life. It's exciting and it's wonderful when you feel like you're a part of something you know and I'm just really blessed just the band I've got you know for this Bluebird show I'm doing on May eleventh my debut is at the Bluebird. Jesus, not too much pressure, huh? Right?
0: Right? That's uh, Mother's Day, right? May 11th? Yeah,
2: the mother of rock and roll is going to take over the bluebird on Mother's Day. (laughs) Hey, man, they're they're getting edgy here in Nashville. I'm liking it.
0: You know what? Uh, you know, uh, friends of mine, for, you know, for, uh, on the East Coast and up North, I was like, "Man, Nashville's all country stuff." I'm like, you know, I was like, "There are so many great artists that we've had on the show here, including yourself, that are are in Nashville now. Um, a lot of newer bands and, and people who, hey, you listen, know,
2: just you know, some of my it's favorite than- guys, like like Tom Kiefer, for instance, he's a genius. He's here, and um, I, you know, I just think he's really underrated. Not only is he a great songwriter, but he's an incredible singer. He sounds more like Sam Cooke than everybody thinks Rod Stewart does, you know, but he's got a really incredible range, you know, and you've got Walter Egan here. I mean, you know, it's hilarious. Even the freaking Nelson twins, who I think sing like angels, I swear to God, I saw Kip Winger at the grocery store. It freaked me out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that would freak me out too. <laughs> it freaked
2: me out. It really did. <laughs> because, but, you know, it's okay. It's like I'm seeing more people here than I ever saw in New York or LA. And that's what I'm finding incredibly humorous about it because nobody cares. And it's just really relaxing and it's fun, you know, to be like squeezing the blueberries and then look over and, oh, there's Nicole Kidman squeezing the blueberries. Okay. That's nice. There's no paparazzi here. It's fabulous. Yes. I mean, yeah,
0: Nashville's Nashville's a good town.
2: Like, you can actually go to the grocery store with no makeup on, and you can really do that here. Sweats and a ponytail. (laughs) It's like, I, I, yeah, but I don't want everybody to find out how good it is, because I'm scared now, because all these big old buildings are going up everywhere, and, you can see the growth. I mean, the houses, they just can't go up quick enough. And every time I see a for sale sign, I'll drive by three days later and it's gone. You know, it's like yep. they're swooping and pecking. They're coming in. Here they come. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just a little worried, you know, because I moved away from New York because I wanted the. The sweetness and the beauty and the innocence of, of Nashville that it still covets, you know? I just don't want it to get all crazy and the devil be coming in here. Oh! <laughs>
0: anyway. <laughs> now, now uh, you you have the show on the 11th uh, here in Nashville on Mother's Day. Now, uh, with the album that you're working on now, is uh, how many new tracks uh, are you planning on releasing and do you have a release date yet?
2: Okay. This is getting very complicated, but yes, I have like 18 finished tracks, and I'm very proud of them, and I'm going to – I think you're playing – let's see, you're doing Invisible, and uh, Nothing Really Changes.
0: Uh, give Good Away is the, the, away. the track you, was d- that was. you didn't
2: get Nothing Really – so you got Give Good Away. Okay, Give Good Away is cool. Um, it's like an ode to Spirit in the Sky. Remember that song?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Kentucky Canada, Yeah.
2: Yeah. But anyway – I'm very proud of all the work I've done, but since I made these recordings, I've been playing with Shannon Pollard, and he's um, my drummer now, and I didn't use him on any of these tracks. So now I'm getting to the point where I want to re-record them all with him playing the drums. (sighs)
1: So
2: here we go. (laughs) So so this summer, I think I'm going to be... I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that I'm going to be in the studio doing it with him playing, because that would make me so happy. And um, you know, Shannon's great. He's, uh, you know, he's very cool. He's got that label, Plowboy Records, but he's Eddie Arnold's grandson, and he's also an environmentalist. And he does all kinds of amazing things with the earth and with with uh, real estate here in nashville like inventive things not your normal like cut down and build stuff he is very creative and and smart you know and um he cares he cares about the woods and the nature and the sacred ground and i i appreciate that because you know you don't want to spoil it here because that's one of the things we love about it here is that You get to be in the thick of it, but you also get to, like, look out your back window and see a bird and a rabbit and a squirrel and a blue jay and all all at once. (laughs) It's It's like a Disney movie.
0: There's a, there's a place here in Nashville, I don't know if if you and your husband have been been to it, it's called the Cheekwood Gardens. Oh,
2: of course, I did Cheekwood, I did Cheekwood, okay. I, I did Cheekwood at Christmas, wonderful for the life, oh, oh yeah.
0: beautiful there.
2: Yeah, we did it, we did it, I'm a Cheekwood, you
0: know, freak. Fantastic, what I, a great time, I, best way to spend an afternoon, that's all I can say.
2: I, I mean, I, I'm such a geek, I even went to, like, the Parthenon, and I, I went to, to the, oh, um, what you call it? Uh, the Opry, the the um the hotel, the Opry Hotel to see the giant oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. to see the giant Christmas tree and the water show. I don't know. I'm a geek. I love it all. I do. I I, I you know I love pink cowboy hats. I always have. <laughs> I mean, if they made leopard, you and
0: my wife would get along fantastic. You two would just <laughs> just go and just do. There's no doubt. Uh, if
2: they made leopard ones, I'd be even happier. <laughs>
1: Well,
0: uh, BB, uh, I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, It's been—it's really been an honor to speak with you. You're—you're a very genuine, uh, good soul, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on on the broadcast. Thank
2: you, and I hope you guys enjoy my
1: music. darkest place in you, so you can't put me down. You don't seem to see. I want to let me be. I don't have to run. Go ahead. above the pain. I know it's not in vain. Your house of cards is folding. What's inside of you? What did someone do to so mess up your mind? Make you so unkind. It all comes back on you.
0: BB Buell here on Revelator. That is give good away. And, uh, thanks to BB for uh, stopping by and donating her time. Uh, man, really, really fun show. Uh, you know, we, you know what? Let's close with the movies. We haven't, we haven't closed with the movies in a long time. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll look at the top movies at the box office this weekend. Uh, number 10, Haunted House 2 at 3.2 million. The movie Divergent at 3.6. The movie Bears, 3.7. The Quiet Ones at 3.8 transcendence at 4.2 number five brick mansions at 9.5 rio 2 13.8 million uh heaven is for Rio at 14.3 captain america finally knocked off the number one spot after three weeks at 16.2 million and it's four weeks at the box office 225 million dollars total gross uh and the number one movie this weekend at the box office is the other woman at 24.7 million let me tell you right now, the other woman is never number one on the list. Okay, <laughs> but um, uh, but hey, we've got some awesome guests coming up here in the month of May as we turn into the uh, you know into spring, moving into summer. Summer. Three Eleven will be on the show. Um, Bree Flying V, who's was uh, on the old Unsigned show, will be stopping by before her big tour coming up, uh, and some other really really great artists as well. So just keep it locked right here on Revelator. Mike, wonderful job as always. Hey, it seems harder to enjoy the finer things in life. Until next time, do so, everybody. This was episode 57, Sterling BB. For show notes or links to topics discussed on this episode of Revelator, or to experience previous episodes, head on over to onus.tv, that's O-M-N-E-S dot TV, and click on Revelator. Thanks for listening.